Welcome to Bible Study Today. This is Len, instead again, place it Dick, who should be back before too long. And uh, we have a panel of five today, and I'm going to let the panel members introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm so glad to be here. Good day, listeners. It's Ken here, and always a pleasure to be here. Brenton Wilkinson, I always look forward to the time of sharing with our listeners. It's Harvey, and I'll be your facilitator today and look forward to a study of God's Word together. Thank you, Harvey, and as our facilitator, I'm now handing over to you. Thank you, Len, and I trust that we'll have a profitable study period. I invite Brenton to offer a prayer as we begin the study today. Our Father in Heaven, we are reminded again as we are about to undertake this study that the early Christian church was known for several things. They were known for their love for one another and the way they supported one another and cared for one another and also their undying devotion to sharing the gospel with the Jews, with the Gentiles and with the Roman world that was around them. Lord, may the lessons that we learn from our study today be something that we can put into our lives in 2019 as we share and mix with people in our society. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brendan. As you have been, will have been aware, the study at this group of studies we've been doing is entitled The Least of These. That, of course, comes from a text that Jesus himself, a quote that he made, He said, as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. But this particular study we're on is doing ministering to others in the New Testament church. How did the New Testament Christians relate to what the Bible said and says about how we should treat each other? In the topic for study this week, We look at how the New Testament church embraced Christ's compassion for the poor. We see how the early church after Pentecost organised itself around ministries of compassion and how the disciples and leaders of the growing Christian church made ministries of compassion central to their mission. We also see examples of how we can relate to those we are seeking to introduce to the gospel. Jesus begins the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 with the words themselves. Wherever we come across the word, therefore, whenever we come across this word, we need to look at what precedes it to find the reason behind the statement that follows. In this case, the Great Commission is given based on Jesus' declaration All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So, Ken, would you please read for us now Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Starting at 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even on to the end of the world. Thank you. Just like to make a comment that this is really all about Jesus when you look at it. You know, it starts off in you know in verse nineteen. Well, we we're told to go, and it's personal because it's ye. Therefore, 
but it also says in the name of the Father, the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So here we have the authority there and it finishes off in verse 20, I am with you always. It's kind of like a bookend, isn't it? Mm. You know, and in the middle tells us what we need to do. Yes. This is the, I suppose, the action that is required of Christians is to go out and tell others about the love of Jesus. And I don't believe, sorry about that, but I don't believe that it was a request. I believe this I'm is a command. I'm coming to that too, which oh, is sorry. interesting. Okay, thank but, you. But, uh, yes. Just um, about who gave the authority here to this um, uh, directive for the apostles and for believers, Jesus actually gave it at that point of the time, at point of time. But in what he's saying, it reminds me of an official document. Um, who signs the official document? It's like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Each have their name as the authority to this. Yes. Harvey, just one comment on that, which is particularly important, I think, and that is this. This command is a victory statement. Yes. It's a statement um, where it says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. In other words, regardless of how we may see our feeble efforts to spread the gospel, Jesus says, don't worry about it. I am in charge. I have full authority in heaven and in earth. It will be successful. You will make disciples of all nations. Ken. I'd just like to add something here. Uh, about this particular verse in 20 it's maybe not discussed very often and I'm sorry I'm slightly off the track on uh, what we're discussing but the last few words there even on to the end of the world I think sometimes people forget that the world there will be an ending one day when Jesus returns and it's maybe not mentioned to office but here Jesus is actually saying lo I am with you always even on to the end of this world which if he said it, it's definitely going to happen. Mm. I agree with you 100%. When it says all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, the fact that it's given to him means it's come from somewhere else. And while Jesus was here on earth, he accepted totally the authority of his father. Len, you were going to make a comment. Well, I was going to comment about the end of the world, oh. as, as you know. And I don't treat this lightly because I too believe there will be an end of the world as we know it when Jesus comes back again. But however, sometimes when I'm playing golf, one of the chaps I play with, when somebody else makes a bad mistake, he says, well, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> and I, I have to talk to him more about what he means. But of course, he's just using that in the vernacular well, it's not so terrible after all, but the end of the world will be terrible for those who have not, not committed really. their lives mm. to the Lord. Mm. Helen. I'd like to add on that one too, Lane, you're quite correct, but I'd like, to, I'd like to hone into the words just before that where it says, I am with you always. There's a beautiful promise that mm. even though the end of the world is coming, we have nothing to fear because he is going to be with us. There is a firm promise there. He doesn't say I might be or I could be. He says I will be. Yes. I will be. Just uh, <laughs> say something else. You know, um, I've done quite a bit of reading about the future of the earth and uh, this is 
stuff presented by the scientific community. And a lot of people are saying unless things change, the world won't be habitable within a few decades because of the shortage of water, shortage of food, uh, the presence of uh, rubbish, uh, air and water pollution, and a whole host of things. There's another idea too that maybe through nuclear bombs that the world could end. But you know, none of those things is going to cause the end of the world. God is going to be the one who's going to, if you like, um, end what he had originally made. Yes, thank you, Len. When we're talking about this as being a command, comment was made that it's not a suggestion. It's like the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. This is like the command given by an army officer to his troops. You know, go and do this. They don't say, please go and do this generally. It's just purely a command. And so it's really important that when Jesus said go, that was an intentional statement, a command. We have sort of spoken about it, in fact, in detail really, about the embedded promise included in the command. And I think it's a wonderful thing that when God gives a command, it's nice that it's given with a promise included. He said, go into all the world. And then he said, I am with you always. I will be with you always. And I believe that's really a very strong point as far as promises are concerned. I wonder if anybody here, and I'm not sure of the number, but the number of promises there are in the Bible. I think it's approximately three and a half thousand, isn't it? I think I've heard that number before, but you only have to read the short passages of Scripture and you'll see that there's promises all through. Helen, I wonder if you'd please read for us Acts 2, 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Happy to do that. Uh, it says here, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as any one had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. We'd just like to make a couple of comments on this, if I may. Continuing steadfastly and in what they knew and they mentions about breaking bread it mentions about prayers but i think it's just amazing as you go through it they all believed together they had all things in common they were united they were united in in their love for christ they were united in in their zeal in in what they were doing and i, I believe that's a a um, very good thing for us to think about being united Ellen, could you read the Verse 47 again. I was you, just about to. You missed the last <laughs> little patch of it. Oh, okay. Let's just do it. Um, because this is really important. This is, is a promise. It says, Praising God and having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
and there there was a wonderful promise he added to the church daily sometimes we wonder in our own congregations why there are a lot of empty churches you know and yet here we see and if we we study these texts in in um, depth you will see the reasons for it you know what makes a healthy church you know and and we'll be looking at that too but a healthy church actually attracts the people brendan Harvey, there's uh, some important information here that I think Luke misses in the book of Acts when he puts this particular thing. It needs to be compared with John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, uh, you remember the story of the blind man who was blind from birth, and his parents were afraid to answer when they were questioned by the authorities because they might be put out of the synagogue. Now, if they were put out of the synagogue, they were actually banned for 30 days. There were three, uh, three particular punishments that you could be put out of the synagogue for, and the most severe is that you were permanently excommunicated from the synagogue. That meant that you could not uh, trade with your fellow Jews. I would suggest to you that in Acts 2, and also when we come to Acts 4, the reason as to why they sold their properties, the reason as to why they put their goods together and why they put money together and why they put their food together is they were probably excommunicated from the local community to a very large extent and therefore the only way they could survive is by doing this. I think that there's a very strong uh, reason for that. Yes, I don't disagree with that, Brenton. The thing that really interests me here it says they all the people continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now, we normally concentrate on the fellowship aspect of yes. uh, things here, how they shared things and um, <clears throat> so that everybody had enough. But, you know, at this time, there was only one church, apart from the Jewish church, which uh, wasn't a Christian church at all. These days there are 33,000 separate Christian churches or sets of beliefs. I feel that many people have made up their own doctrines, which are not what the apostles would have taught. And as we study the history of the Christian church from this time on, little by little, over the, say, about a century later, all sorts of weird practices and beliefs came, which was really the beginning of what we have today. I would suggest to you that the pure church, the most pure church, is the church that sticks to the apostles' doctrine, the beliefs in Jesus, the keeping of the commandments, and so on. Thank you, Len. Um, just to think about what was read by Helen in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47 what is something about the people there that is missing but it's a good thing that it was missing what is missing in those in the people of that time well i'd have to say this and i don't know if this is what you're looking for oh it's an open question um self-interest um that was missing because they shared everything and they were happy in doing it there was very little dissension, wasn't there? Yes. They were all missing. agreed in what they were doing, which is something that the apostles did not have before Jesus left. They were always arguing who was going to be best or who was going to be greatest or That's who was right. going to be closest. 
but that seems to have all gone once the Holy Spirit came to them in Pentecost. Harvey, it looks to me as though what you've got here is a situation where they are following what Christ said when he said to love one another as I have loved you. When they were starting to carry this out, as found in what Helen has read, then God is adding to the church, not every so often, he is adding to the church daily. And we need to think seriously in 2019 because that's what we need today. We need to see the Lord adding to the church daily. Yes, Ken. Um, I just wanted to add a little bit here regarding the apostles themselves. Sometimes I believe people think it was only Jesus did all these amazing miracles. But when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples and the followers later on, they too had the ability to do exactly the same miracles that Jesus did through the the Holy Spirit. Mm. Helen, you were going to make a comment. Yeah, and I was coming back to what we said before about um, self-interest or selfishness. The scripture says, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. I think there's a key there, you know, as to the unity there. They had gladness in their heart. They were simplistic of heart. That didn't mean they were simple-minded. But, you know, sometimes we make things too complicated, and I, I, I believe there's a little key there. But praising God, I think, was also the biggest key. As they praise God, you can't be criticising each other. True. You know, and that brings a unity. Thank you. Glenn? Now, in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through to 37, the Bible says this, Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as the, as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I think the comment that was made before is shown very strongly here and that is that self-interest was not a strong point at all it was to for the benefit of the group of everybody that had need and I think it's a wonderful passage even though it's it's interesting to note that it's talking about those that were in need were not really in need because they were provided for. Len, you were going to make a comment? Yeah, I really like what it says at the beginning in verse 32. It says, they were of one heart and soul. I've heard of situations where people in churches are at odds with each other. Um, There might be some issue and they, uh, well, it even causes fights. I don't mean physical fights, but confusion within the church but it points out here they were one heart and soul that was because they were busy when 
people are busy doing stuff for the Lord, there's no time to get involved in arguments and disagreements. And here was this situation here. They were vibrant and happy and, and excited as the Lord was using them. And so there were no disagreements at this time. Thank you. Helen? Just a, a comment that was said to me on this verse quite some time ago, reading from verse 34, not a needy person among them and, you know, everything was in the common bond. Somebody actually said to me, isn't that the same as communism? And, um, yeah, it made me stop and think. It really did because, you know, communism was based on some similar things. But then when I thought about it, I thought, well, no, the sharing here was voluntary. It wasn't a command. It was voluntary. And it didn't involve all private property, but only as much as was needed. And it was not a membership in requirement in order to be part of the church. You know, and I thought, well, there was a difference. If you actually go to the, the first couple of verses before that, of course, it's totally different because, you know, as Lynn pointed out, they were one with heart and soul. Sure. And they said no one, what does it say? No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. And I think that's important, too, because everything in this world God created. And, you know, we are really only giving what is already his. And if our heart is right with him, we will give cheerfully and gladly. We sing hymns, don't we, from time to time, and songs in church. And one of them says, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. So whatever we have is lent to us, really, by God himself. Mm -hmm. And it's how we steward that those things that God has given us that we'll be answerable for. Because if we hold them to ourselves only, selfishly, and see others in need and not provide for them in the way that we can, I believe we will be judged. It's marvellous, Harvey, how this uh, text, all these group of texts play out. Because what's actually being set in the scene for here, we find in Acts chapter 6, which we aren't studying today, but... Uh, we find that bringing the money and laying it at the apostles' feet and caring for the needy and that sort of thing, eventually it comes to the point where the apostles say, we haven't got the time to do all this. I think what God is doing is he's actually saying, you need to delegate. The primary role that uh, Helen read or uh, uh, Ken read earlier on, go and make disciples of all nations and baptise them, that is the primary role of the apostles. And eventually, I think they began to realise this is what God has called us to do. He hasn't called us to do all these other things. We simply haven't got the time. I think there's a lesson for us as um, Christians today. We can't do everything. We need to concentrate on that which God has given us to do. And if he uh, has other things that he wants us to do, I believe he'll give us the necessary resources to be able to do them. But um, it's good the way that this is, uh, is working, but we do get to a stage further on where we have a delegation of responsibilities. Yes, thank you, Brenton. I wonder, has anybody seen this system working anywhere <coughs> today in 2019? Well, it works in society in, in general through the taxation system, but I'd just like to... Um, I'd just like to... Uh, relate an incident and wasn't in 2019 it was before that 
travelling across back from Perth to Adelaide after having a holiday over there before the road was all bitumised, Cyclone Elsie came through and uh, the road was just mud and water holes. On our way back, a couple of semis got stuck on the road and nobody could pass. And here were these um, semi-drivers without food and a whole lot of other tourists. And what happened, everybody stopped for the night while the road dried out a bit and it was interesting to see how everybody shared this one had some oranges and this one had some and they pulled it and it was really a wonderful experience I enjoyed it very much although I was quite young at the time so yes it does operate within society through the taxation system which doesn't provide for everybody of course Yes, I smile when you spoke about the taxation system because when the government puts their hand in anything, usually it's, it's only partially correct. They certainly uh, don't provide everything for everyone. Um, it's interesting, sorry. Could I suggest that it also works through ADRA? And for those who don't know what ADRA means, Acronym Adventist Development Relief Agency, um, we have an emergency food services that operate within the ADRA agency for those who are in need. And I've had the personal privilege of delivering food parcels to quite a number of people. There may be others here who have done the same, but uh, we are trying to follow the command of Christ in making sure that nobody's in need. But we can only do that as we're aware of the needs and what resources we have to fill those needs. Yes, Ken, you were going to make a comment? No, it was just something you'd said about the uh, government putting putting their hands in the pockets. <laughs> I just want yes, to say it's usually both, both hands. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. Brenton, I'll, would you please read Acts 9, verses 36 to 42? Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works, and arms deeds which she did and it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died when they had washed they laid her in an upper room and for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them then Peter arose and went with them when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth, and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, presented her alive and it was known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord Thank you Brenton Len. So I want to ask a question Why were the widows weeping? Were they weeping because she had died? They um, probably were The thing is she was a good woman She was a wonderful woman as Brenton read in the early part there how many people weep for a bad person? Nobody. 
Maybe they, they weep with joy. They, well, they, they usually cheer, hooray, mm. glad that one's gone or whatever. But in this case, mm. they were genuinely Generally. weeping because she was a beautiful lady. She th didn't just think of herself. She was probably quite, um, quite well off, if I understand it. But she never kept everything for herself. She shared it around. And all these widows, a widow, to be a widow back then was really a significant thing because there was no social system like we have these days, which supports the widows, and they had no means of support. So she basically provided many of their basic needs. Helen? I, I believe she followed the injunction of doing unto the least of these by my brethren you know she was doing it as for jesus as a, she, she was doing it for jesus i guess again the modern day mother Teresa comes to my mind when i think about this story but i'd like to comment on what lynn was just saying about they were weeping you know when she died because a, a comment comes to my mind that if you were to pass away would your contribution be mourned and missed like the ministry of dorcas was remembered and mourned and i think that's a very good point that we need to think about when we look at this story how can we leave how can we personally leave a better legacy of service you know and look at what practical skills do we have she used um, made use of the gifts that God had given her and to some it mightn't have seemed a very important gift but in her sphere of influence it was extremely important and we should never devalue the skills or gifts that God has given to anybody and I think there's a lot we can learn from Dorcas here but I think it's a lot we should think about too as to how can we ourselves personally leave a better legacy a selfless one Ken. Yeah, I'd just like to add something important that I believe, and that is that one person can make a difference. Sometimes we may feel we're overwhelmed, there's too much to do out there, but one person can make a difference in the world, and if every person did one thing, that would be an amazing turnaround. Yes. I think when we think about the story of Dorcas, there's a lot of things about it that are really fascinating, I find. But one thing I wonder... If you pass on personally, how far outside your circle of friends will your Influence passing thing. impact? Mm. And that's something to think about, I think. Yeah. Just one other point as well, I believe. When Peter went in, it's interesting he put everybody out. He just knelt down and prayed. Now, that... He'd been given the authority by God himself, or by Jesus himself. He said the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit had come. It was Pentecost that brought it all. But even though the widows, he put them all out, he wasn't there to be a big display. He prayed in faith, and Dorcas, or Tabitha, whichever you like to call her, was raised to life. And I find that a... a wonderful story actually mm. Harvey just an interesting comment on that uh, the Seventh Adventist Church used to have a society known as the Dorcas Society in it in fact some of us have probably yes. been involved in it <laughs> and we have tried to follow the principles that are enunciated in these verses mm. that we're just reading yes they used to meet on a fairly regular basis and do sewing and things like that and I remember my mother being involved and my grandmother and other people involved 
on a fairly regular basis with Dorcas. They would look for people in the community that needed clothes or things, and I'm sure there are still groups that do that. Just, just before Len comes in, let me just add, not just mother, uh, grandmothers and great-grandmothers. I was in the Dorcas Society, <laughs> and I, I may be a great-grandmother, but you know, I still remember being in there. Thank you, Harvey. <laughs> <coughs> the, the story, or the record of Dorcas, or Tabitha, raises an interesting question, and it's this. Which brings greatest satisfaction? Is it in having means and enjoying those means... Or is it sharing the means with others? I guess there's a bit of satisfaction in both. But I said last time we had a Bible study, when does an orange taste the best? Is it when you eat it yourself or when you share something with somebody else and they agree that it's really nice? And here is something which probably is overlooked. In being able to help somebody actually brings a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, thank you, Len. I could tell you a, a short personal experience I had. This is many years ago when I was a young man, and I did a trip to Europe. The only time I've ever been to Europe, but I did that trip for three weeks. I did it alone, and I was in London and walking through some of these amazing places and everything, and I got that deep feeling, wouldn't this be much better if it was being shared? And I, I determined from that point on that I would never do a major travel anywhere alone unless it was, there was no option. And uh, it would have been a much better three weeks, even though I loved it, it would have been a much better three weeks if I could have shared it with somebody. Mm. And I think that... The biblical statement, it is better to give than to receive. Very few people sort of believe that, I, I think. But it's interesting how much satisfaction you can get out of helping someone else and seeing them benefit by some simple act that you've, you've been able to do. Mm. Harvey, just a litmus test on that one, which is an interesting one that I've often thought for myself. Um, all of us on our panel, I'm sure, have helped others at various times. Um, it's one thing to have the means to be able to help. It's, it's another thing when you get to the point of giving until it hurts. Now, I wonder <laughs> whether we have experienced that where you've actually given to the point where you can't give any more because I think that's a good lit litmus test as the motives behind why you give. Yes, thank you for that. Ken, would you please read Galatians 2, verse 10. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. Can you tell me who do you think that they was or I were? Believe, I, I believe they were the apostles' disciples. Yes, I would agree with you, actually. Yeah. And the poor, obviously, all those that were in need. Yes, was the Council of Jerusalem, I believe, uh, Harvey, that is found in Acts chapter 15. Yes, thank you. So they were saying that almost central to what they needed to do was to look after the poor. Um, you could sort of provide for people spiritually, but until they've been provided for physically, if they're hungry, 
you're not going to get a message through too well to them unless they actually have a full stomach or feel more comfortable in that sort of respect. Helen, you're going to make a comment. Yeah, just on what you said, it reminds me of a statement that says, people don't care what you care about until they know that you care about them. Yes. And That's I think, a good comment. I think that is so, so true. You know, it's all very well um, trying to share what you believe with someone and they're sitting there shivering cold and then you walk away and say, be warm. Mm. You know, okay. I mean, they're James not going to... James talks about that, doesn't Yeah, he? they're not yeah. going to take it in because they're, they're so cold for a start. Give them a blanket first. You know, show them that you really care. Um, and, you know, I've seen incidences of people at a railway station and a young lass was in a, a, a summer dress, no sleeves, and it was winter. You know, and a person went up and said, don't you have a coat? She said, no. And I watched, and they took the coat off and gave it to this girl. And they had that's no coat. That's wonderful. Mm. And, and I thought, that's, that's the attitude we should take. You know, Jesus admonishes. I could see Jesus doing that. You know, and, and, you know, wrapping them up and keeping them warm. So, again, let me just say that statement. People won't care about what we care about until they know that we care about them. I just wanted to throw something in. It's um, really not related to this, but it's about shearing one's coat. I heard of some shearers once who um, had their finished their job and they had their, well, one of them had his cheque in his pocket of his coat and uh, they were leaving the property and on the way they shot a kangaroo and the kangaroo was lying down appeared to be injured and they thought it would be fun to dress the kangaroo up so they this chap took his coat off and put his hat on the kangaroo and they were having a good laugh taking some pictures but suddenly the kangaroo jumped up and hopped away and they regretted sharing their coat with the kangaroo because the sheriff's cheque was still in his pocket. <laughs> and anyhow, they were coatless. Uh, <laughs> so I thought listeners might enjoy a little joke <laughs> in the middle of this study. <laughs> yes, thank you, Lynn. Um, it sort of mind boggles, doesn't it, see this kangaroo hopping off with a coat. I think it's interesting that Dorcas, the widows were there. They weren't just there when they were talking or um, mourning over the loss of Dorcas, but they were actually there with items of clothing that Dorcas had made for them. And so they were there in thanks saying, look, this is what she did for us. And uh, again, I asked the question, I wonder if we disappear off the scene of action, are there people going to be able to say, this is what Harvey did for them, or this is what whoever, I'll only use my name so I don't want to point at anybody else but uh, I think that's an important point Helen? It just draws me back to the Great Commission, go ye it's personal, it's not um, getting someone else, it's putting your time, your effort into something to share with other people I know I've got a friend who makes a lot of gifts herself, she has a brain injury and I value what she does she makes cards and all sorts of things and you know she goes out and she tries you know somebody doesn't appreciate it so she'll go and buy them something to me the value is not there you know it's it's personal and Dorcas was very personal I think sometimes we think that we don't have much to be able to share <coughs> But there is always something we have that we can share. And I don't necessarily mean only physical share. I think that there is always the feeling to give them a feeling that they 
at least have one friend that you can be a friend to them. Harvey, just a quick comment that I'd like to share. I had a very good discussion yesterday with one of my church members and we were talking about um, reaching out to the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and she said to me, she said, you know, Brenton, she said the thing that made the difference with us was the little things. She said it's the little things that brought us into the church. She said the little things that were done for us um, that were done without any, uh, shall we say, motive in mind or anything like that. She said, it paints a picture. The picture eventually you, uh, as it were, add up all the dots and then you start asking the question, are these people Christians? Where do they come from? What church do they go to? And she said, that's what brought us into God's truth. Yes, thank you. Helen, I wonder if you could please read for us Exodus 16, verse 18. Yeah, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I'd like to read the verse before it as well, if I may. You may. It says, So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. Those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. God had given them a gift, a wonderful gift of manna in the wilderness. Manna was a food that he supplied and he had given them strict instructions on how to gather the manna and right through the week and especially on Friday and what have you. And I found this really, really interesting when it says, when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Even though some gathered more than they really should have or they needed, or perhaps some didn't gather quite enough, and yet it was enough. And God does that. You look at when Jesus was here and he fed those 5,000 from such a small feast, and everyone had enough. And I think there's a very, very good lesson here because to me, Jesus is like the manna. You know, he is the bread of life to us, and he is enough to satisfy our eternal and spiritual needs. I like that. I think that's really good. Mm. Yeah. It also coincides with what we were reading earlier on where it says they distributed to everybody as they had need and mm. everybody had enough. Yes. It's it's really the same principle being reinforced in the New Testament that mm. is brought to bear here. Mm. In other words, God gives you enough. He doesn't give you too much. He gives you enough for each day. This is why we pray the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That which comes from the uh, Lord's Prayer. That's so true, Brenton. But <coughs> let me also add, God is never too early and he's never too late. Not only does he meet our needs and gives us enough, he is always on spot on time mm. for when we need it. True. Paul quoted the text that you've read, Helen, which was from Exodus in the Old Testament. He quoted it in Second Corinthians 8, verse 15, and it simply says, they that collected much had nothing left over mm. and those that didn't collect as much as much had enough, had enough. Mm. and i think that in itself is an interesting concept what important principle is paul reinforcing to the corinthians the christians in corinth i really think it's probably this it could be a whole lot of things but i think it's this that god provides what we need we might think we we might want to have a lot, but God provides what we need. 
Thank you. I think from an economics point of view, if anybody's studied economics, which I'm sure there are plenty out there that have, there's a difference between needs and wants. Needs are something that is necessary for survival. Wants are things that we would like to have, but if we don't have it, we'll still survive. Correct. And uh, so we have the needs and wants. And so God is there. He says, I will supply all your needs. Needs. Not all your wants, but all your needs. Mind you, God in his love and mercy sometimes gives people more than they need, but he gives it to them for a purpose. What do you think the purpose may be that if a person is given more than what they need? It's so they're able to share it with other people. Really. I think you're right, 100%. In fact, I think that too often, of course, we honour, we seem to honour in our society those that have much rather than those that have little. And uh, when in actual fact, if you go through the Beatitudes, which we've done already in this um, series. group of lessons, mm. nearly all the blesseds are those that are less than mm. um, what we would say successful. Thank you, Len. You would want to say something? Well, I think there's a bit of an ethical dilemma. We have lots of people in our society who receive enough for their needs, however they waste it. Um, I think a lot of people who are, for example, taking drugs, who don't have enough money to buy food. Where does the Christian stand in this situation? Do we give them food so they can continue buying drugs, so they can continue receiving food? It's just an endless cycle. I know this is, uh, we're talking about general principles, but I think where somebody is totally wasteful, totally disregards what would be a normal person's duty, um, it's probably a mistake to supply stuff, food, clothing, shelter, whatever it is, if they're disregarding their own responsibilities in relation to this. Thank you, Len. Harvey, can I comment on that just briefly? Certainly. I agree with Len to a fair degree. However, <laughs> I would add a proviso. In my experience, and I've had quite a lot of experience in uh, helping people not only financially but also with food, one of the things that I look for personally is if, as Len says, the parents are abusing uh, themselves with drugs and alcohol and other things, I look at the family. If there are three starving children there, what are you going to do? You're going to say, well, they're misusing their goods, so we're not going to help them. What I would do in that situation is I would go and buy food for the children because I've had experiences where I've delivered a food parcel to a house. I've barely opened the door. A little kid of about three or four came out, grabbed a packet of biscuits, ripped the packet open and started eating the biscuits straight away. That told me that he was starving. Thank you. I wonder, Len, could you please read... 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. It says this, but, I, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, thank you. Now, 
there's a very important phrase there that ended what Len just read, something that I think we should all aspire to, and that is the love of God, isn't it? It says, God loves a cheerful giver. So if we're a cheerful giver, we can sort of expect... Not, It's not a you give and God will give you more of physical things, but God in his love will give you what he knows you need best. Helen? I, I think the term just before that, not grudgingly or of necessity, is also important. God loves a cheerful giver. I've been in situations where people out of duty have um, put a lunch on for somebody or you know, done something, but it's out of duty. And out, out of their mouth comes whinges and complaints, you know, oh, that person doesn't appreciate, that person never brings anything, that person, you know, may eat too much or whatever. And I did actually say to someone once, if you can't do it cheerfully Don't and you are grudgingly, it is better not to do it at all. God loves a cheerful giver. With our time, our finances, our resources, our gifts, everything, we should be glad and praise God we have those that we can share with others. Ken. Yes, I just wanted to add that uh, I think it also comes back to what's in the people's hearts. Uh, we mentioned uh, some minutes ago about as you give to others, you feel, uh, well, speaking for myself anyway, I'm sure most of you guys would have to agree that you have a real warmth inside you, irrespective of what you give, the size or, or whatever it is. If you've helped somebody in any way, uh, I know I always feel absolutely wonderful afterwards. Len, you were going to say something. Mm, yes, I want to say this, that um, that's a, a natural outcome from when you've helped somebody and it's really appreciated. But I find with myself, I try to avoid wanting to get a high from giving. I do it and forget it and leave it at that. Move on. Yeah. Um, whether I feel good about it or not, I just, not I just leave it. Mm. I'm sure we've all experienced where people have helped us at some period of time. I remember when I was going to Avondale College and I was running out of money to say the least because my parents were not of the ability, they didn't have the financial resources mm -hmm. to put me through so I had to put myself through, but that's fine. But a family said to me, we will pay your fees for this year oh, and I said, well, <laughs> It was sort of staggering to me that somebody would do that. They weren't related to me. They were just people that I knew. And it happened. And I asked the question of them. I said, when do you want it paid back by? And their comment to me was, we don't. We want you to have it and that's it. Mm. But they said, if ever the situation occurred where you could help somebody else, do that. Mm. And I've accepted that. In my life. Principle. I think there's a phrase that came out not long ago, was, and I think there was a movie made of it, Paying It Forward. Yes. And, um, yeah, I thought that was a great concept, and, and this falls in line with that as well, how if somebody does something for you, pay it forward. Mm -hmm. I remember that we were in a restaurant once celebrating someone's birthday, and there was a couple just alongside, and they were watching us. And... Um, you know, we were we decided we would, of course, pay for this birthday woman. I think she was turning 70 at the time. And when I went up to pay the bill, I was told that's already been paid for. 
And I said, who? And she said, the people that were sitting over there, they were so impressed with your group. They said, can we pay something towards it? Well, I managed to run out of the restaurant very quickly and just caught them. And their comment to me was, pay it forward. I think it's a good concept, isn't it? It's a good concept. And it comes in line with the golden rule, doesn't it? Do unto others what you... What does it say? Do unto others. As you, as you want would them have to them do, do unto you. I just want to know if you're all awake. <laughs> do unto others. As you um, I think the phrase is just testing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we've got we, to keep moving. We in need fact, to hop along to the next text. So, Brenton, we'll do yours. Okay. John 13, 34 and 35 I'd like to share with you. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love or have love for one another. You then have to go back very quickly, Harvey, and decide how did Christ love his disciples. The simple answer is unconditionally. Yes. Because what he had to put up with in training them, I think most of us, it would test our patience beyond endurance. And yet at the end of it all, he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. You can only do that when you have the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit in your life. I wonder, we could ask the question, is it easier to give financial assistance to those in need or to love them? That's a loaded question. (laughs) It really is. You can't sort of have one without the other. Love, um, within love, is the duty, the pleasure, the... uh, I can't really find the right word for it is to do good for them. How can you demonstrate love without actions? Actions are... um, You just can't demonstrate love without actions. But you can have actions without love. Oh, yes. True. Oh, yes, you can. So, (laughs) in answer to that question, I'd say it's easier to give um, financial help to someone and walk away than it is to give that love. That love is from your heart. The financial is from your pocket, and there is a, a big gap between the pocket and the heart. Harvey, could I ask Helen a question? <laughs> seeing I'm going across. <laughs> Are you thinking in terms of philanthropy? That's a big word. It's a big word, but <laughs> a, a philanthropists are people who often give a lot of money to various things. It doesn't necessarily mean it comes from love. It no, might be for a taxation purpose. Having You having said that reminds me, there was a, a well-known person, I won't name the name, um, fairly rich guy in this world, and he was known to be giving um, to a lot of places to help people. And I had a, a person comment said, oh, yes, he does, just does it for the, you know, the publicity and that. And I said, you cannot read his heart. No, we can't. And we need to remember that. We cannot read anyone's heart. Only God can do that. It's the motives inside that promote whether it's given from the heart or not. Mm. Agreed. <laughs> I'd like to wind up this study today. <laughs> Spurred by Jesus' commission and the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples and the early believers set out to share the message and mission of Jesus as widely as possible. Drawing from the teachings of Jesus and the Hebrew Scriptures, the members of the early church formed a new kind of community by their example and their teaching. Recorded in their letters to these churches, the first Christian leaders urged the believers to lives of faithfulness and service, particularly to those in need. 
No doubt these examples are given for all of us that profess the name of Christ. I have no doubt in my mind that if we follow the principles that we have been talking about our study today, then we have no question that the world would be a better place, a sharing world. Jesus came and shared it all. He gave his all so that we can eventually be with him for all time, for all eternity. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Any comments from anybody? I think that says it all. It does, doesn't it? It's, yes. it's by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. The proof of the pudding. Mm. Yes, it certainly is. The litmus test. Helen, I wonder if you'd close with prayer for us, please. I'd be delighted. Thank you. Loving Heavenly Father, it is indeed a privilege and an honour to be able to share you and your word with others, with the listeners. I want to thank you, Father, for the love that you bestow upon us to start with, that you meet every need, not all our wants, because they're not always good for us, but our every need, and we thank you. In return, Lord, I just pray that you will give us hearts of love, that we may love as you love. Give us a mind of Christ that we can think as you thought. Help us that we will be willing with a, a heart that is full and overflowing, transformed by your love, to share what we have with others, whether it be in time, resources, gifts, financially or whatever. Prompt us, Lord, to, to be like you as you walked on this earth. And I pray that people will indeed know that we love others by our actions, by our words and our deeds. I pray you'll bless every listener that is listening today. I pray, Lord, that you will bless the panel and I pray, Lord, <coughs> we may be a blessing to others as we go through this life, bringing honour and glory and praise to you and you alone, I pray in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.